0: welcome snap hook listeners we're excited aren't we Jeremy?
1: we are i mean we got jeff marsh and i mean he's a friend of ours but it's at the same time we know that he doesn't love talking on a podcast he hasn't done it in a while and we feel very fortunate that i begged him quite a bit but we got him on i bribed him a little (laughs) bit uh (laughs) so, so I'm at the PGA show. We've been bugging him for a while and I know he's been on a search for seamus ball markers and I had one that he really wanted. I was like, "Look, I'll give you the ball marker, but I need you to actually do the show." And uh you guys will enjoy this. It was a good one. Enjoy
0: it. Yeah, it's you know, the other thing about Jeff is he is a busy, busy, busy guy, whether that's work, travel, restoration club, And don't forget, he's got a family of three with a dog and he's just doing it all. So to get what was supposed to be an hour of his time that turned into two and a half hours.
1: Yeah, we just kept going and we kept talking because it was just happening so naturally. And he's just so open and vulnerable and not afraid to talk about anything. It was just refreshing. And yeah, it was just a good time like, I love Jeff so it, much. He He's awesome. And,
0: you know, you, you talk to people on social media in life or whatever, and his name is always the name that gets brought up. And Jeff talks about it a little bit during our conversation of, you know, hey, being a good photographer is great. Knowing people is awesome. But if you're not a good human, like the rest of that stuff doesn't mean a whole lot. And I think, He lives by that where he is a great photographer. He knows a lot of really good people and he's just an incredible person. So it's awesome to hear him say that because he also lives it. I enjoyed it. It's so big. That's what she said (laughs) that we're going to break it up into two parts. So, you know, we'll find a a split in there to kind of call it part one and part two. So don't think that after today's episode that it's the end because it's only half of the conversation.
1: Yeah, and we get into all of it. We get into his time as a caddy for a while that like I knew some of, but I didn't know the full story of. How he started shooting stuff, work doing stuff for the Seattle Seahawks, all these like different things going on at once. Jeff just done so many different things in his life, and then him starting Restoration Club and creating this group. It's refreshing to hear someone be so forward about themselves and this career we get into how it's a struggle like you said he has kids at home and he's on the road all the time and you go shoot these tournaments you're gone for seven days sometimes and it's just nice to have that time with him and i look forward to talking to him again because we didn't even get into all of it we, we
0: didn't No, we, we i mean from a technical standpoint like that's still left to be out there but if you want to get to know jeff more this is the conversation to listen to for sure
1: yeah, yeah i mean we didn't even get yeah. the burst shutter questions like it was not even like there was no point in it because we were no. even like doing other things talking about other stuff creative thought process all of that and never even got to it no we didn't even get to it yeah and uh, we didn't need it no we didn't we didn't but i want to give away too much i want to, I want the listeners to hear
0: it Um uh, we need to get those numbies so that we yeah. can you know try and get other uh other advertisements we should probably take care of some housekeeping yep uh probably get some of our stuff Wait, we haven't do that so let's talk about our dimple and divot brushes cuz we love them so much right
1: they're the best a friend of mine texted me the other day he's on a golf trip he was at rams hill and somewhere else he did a solo trip which i respect big time love but it love it he sent me some amazon and it was just a knockoff version of a dimple and divot brush and i'm like this thing looks so cheap no Here's our discount code. Go buy one of these. You're going to love it. Mine's on my bag. And he's like, oh, immediately. Why didn't I think about that before? Because it looks good. Functions great. The clip on it is so superb. It just never falls off mm-hmm. the bag. I went out and played Leash. a little bit of golf today and used it because it was a little bit muddy here in Atlanta. And I just love it. I
0: do. And I know we talk about it. and People are probably like, yeah, 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 fast forward, fast forward. But I have a golf problem so i have multiple golf bags and the one thing that i make sure i have on every bag is a dimple and divot brush i don't want to lose them i want to make sure i have them when they're ready i you know it's like okay i know that i need one on there the coil one that they have been dropping and teasing that sold out like really fast and multiple times i am kind of a big fan of that because it's got kind of a, a coil right as the leash and it kind of bounces back a little bit. So it gives you a little bit more pull when you're cleaning your club. And obviously, all the other stuff, too. The crew necks, the hats, they have the cleaning kit that you can get. That's the towel, the brush, and the spray soap, which I got chastised for only using water when I clean my clubs. And I now I use the spray, clean them off with of the brush. They're good. Snap hook 15 is the code. Use it. Buy yourself any of that stuff you need. Get multiple ones, different colors, different bags, whatever it may be. Snap hook 15.
1: Yeah, clean your clubs. You don't want to show up at that fancy invite that you got finally and the caddy looks at your clubs and it's like, why are these things gross? So take care of them. (laughs) All right, let's get into this. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, here's Jeff Marsh. I'll be down the road. So I might
2: go to the church parking lot again with
1: binoculars. (laughs) <laughs> take a few views uh yeah i mean we'll look we'll talk later when that is because i might be heading over there sometime mid-march for something else cool. but yeah let's actually doing get started a... let's do a yeah, proper intro all right welcome everyone we are here with the one we've been waiting for mr jeff marsh we finally bribed him enough to get him on the mic he's got his new podcast mic and we got him on so welcome jeff how are you doing today i'm good uh never a
2: dull moment i was uh reminiscing a few minutes ago we we've already been to the er today with our little guy he popped his chin open um it's kind of a rite of passage i think for boys so he's he's almost two he's already got that out of the way yeah
1: it is definitely a requirement knock it out early i've i've never never popped the
0: chin i don't recall ever breaking a bone my parents claim i did but i'm not sure about that so maybe i'll go fall in the concrete after this just so i can be a part of the club
1: you might as well yeah, let let doodle uh, run the leash around your legs and take you out, and you'll you'll be good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
0: Melkony it will go off. Yeah, it's
1: I just okay. want to say
0: before we jump in, this is awesome. When we started this, you were at the top of the list, obviously, and you have been like the most requested person to get on. Everyone wants to hear your knowledge around photography. But as we talk, I want to dive more into how vulnerable you are online in real life everything. So I, I hope it's going to be an awesome conversation. No pressure on you. Don't screw it up, but I think you're going to have a good time.
2: As long as the feed doesn't cut, we'll be good. If I, if the feed cuts, I know I screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be just fine. So where are you at right now, Jeff? You in Nashville? Yep. I'm uh, Columbia, Tennessee, about 40 minutes south, 20 minutes south of Franklin. We just hit two years yesterday here in Columbia, uh, about two months before we got here. We'd never even heard of it, didn't know it existed. And then we called at home pretty much overnight and had a baby five weeks after we got here. And,
1: and so, yeah, I don't know how it's been two years, but it's been two years. It's because of COVID. Like COVID just, time doesn't make sense anymore. It's like, I remember when you came through yeah. here and you still had the RV and you stopped by the house and we called up and it was like the tail Dude, end of COVID. Right. And it was so long ago, but it wasn't. And it it's hard to like, judge time anymore these days yeah it's the whole like space-time
2: continuum i think was his character back to the future (laughs) oh martin Um, Fly? yeah no no no. the doc doc Doc. yeah Yeah. but somehow we hit yeah we hit that and yeah it's bizarre i think that was east like 21 when i was it was first saw first saw you yep yeah
0: hold on because i don't want to glance over The RV life. I mean, you guys went from the packed Northwest to basically the South, two kids, you know, what halfway through you had a pregnant wife, the dog. I mean, the whole crew was was packed in an RV. What spawned that? And then explain that experience. Like, was it worth it? Do you regret it? Was it awesome? Would you ever do it again? Like, let's not glance over the fact that you were RVing it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it probably depends on the day that you would have asked us that while we were out there. I mean, I did things. In that season, I never imagined doing like up to the elbow with a steak knife trying to clean out the septic oh. tank because my kids had clogged it with Costco toilet paper yep. which you're not supposed to use. No. That's probably the grossest thing I've ever done. Never thought I'd I, I'd do that. Uh, I invested heavily into the propane market. I didn't know how much propane <laughs> you go through just trying to stay warm because we kind of chased the sun a little bit, but we definitely found... Uh, found some frost, even in in Orlando, uh, we had quite a few frosty nights, which wasn't, wasn't prepared for that. But yeah, yeah, I think between, no, um, between my wife and I, I was 38, I just turned 41. So 38, when we left Washington, she just turned 35. So 70 plus years together in the same County, Uh, families, both are still in the same County. So it, I mean, talk about roots we're the only ones you know that that have left and uh that, i think there's a lot that went into it i was talking to somebody today on on instagram i think i did just like a q a and like what are you thinking about this week and somebody was like i'm ready for spring winter is you know winter's brutal and i and i said that was the number one reason we finally left i'd i'd wanted to leave probably 10 years before that i just the the six months of drizzle gray cold seasonal affective disorder is a real thing i Mm -hmm. think most people probably experience that at some point they just don't even it's like the normal everyone you know you go there in the winter and everybody's just grouchy and doesn't want to
1: do anything and what town is that that you grew up in? Like where, what is it the biggest city is near?
2: So the biggest city would be Tacoma. So we're about 35 minutes east of Tacoma, kind of in between Tacoma and Mount Rainier National Park. So I, I grew up very, very blessed to grow up with Mount Rainier's shadow over the top of us and um, beautiful view. And and I, I've i been saying this probably more the last couple of weeks than ever. I miss the mountains. Hmm. I miss the water. It's yeah. such a, a big part of my my whole life, you know, I've basically lived in the mountains until I started living on golf courses and in golf course parking lots. So I, I, d- I, definitely miss that. But, uh, geographically it was nice in the summers. I
1: mean, you go there in August, you catch the sunshine and to me, it's the best place in the world for a few yeah. days a year. Yeah. It's funny. Cause from my perspective, like growing up here in the South, I grew up in Atlanta. Like I love the Pacific Northwest, specifically what you said, the mountains, the trees, everything about that is so unique compared to here. That's what I love about it. Now, when you were growing up, did you have a camera in your hand? No, I, I had a camera in my face. My my parents
2: very well um, documented our lives very well. And I'm thankful for that because I can look back and find pretty much any picture anytime I want when a story comes up. Actually today, you know, my son had, had to get stitches this morning and then my sister was like, oh, I think I got stitches on my third birthday. And I was like, you know there it is like send it out so very very well documented but i i don't ever really remember even being interested in in picking up their their camera it was a the old canon ae1 oh yeah um, and i spent i think it took me three or four years to digitize all those photos back in like 2013 2014 because it was i mean like 40 to 50 photo albums of of photos which was nuts and then yeah. thankfully I did it because 2017 my house I grew up in burned oh, and all no. those photo albums oh, disappeared. No. So, so that's kind of our, I mean, that's our lasting, lasting memory. So I'm, I think it was probably annoying at times for my sister and i to always have, you know, my mom, like, you know, stop, stop, stop what you're doing. Say cheese. Now I do that with my kids. So it's payback, but um, I didn't, I didn't really have an interest in, photography at all until college I got a Kodak Easy Share point and mm-hmm. shoot. I think the memory card was three megabytes, if I remember. Oh yeah. And uh I got it for, yeah, I got it for Christmas when I was in college and it it just flipped a switch that that I didn't know existed. And so in college I just I spent a lot of time messing around anytime I see something cool i'd stop the car get out shoot it and then you know i've literally every week of my entire life until we moved was in the mountains at least one day a week it was just kind of a uh, spiritual practice that i had usually thursdays every thursday i would just whether it was for an hour or the whole entire day i would i'd go out so that was kind of my first real um jumping in point with photography and and i think will always be my number one love is landscape outdoor adventure photography and not doing a lot of that these days um but finding some pretty adventurous golf golf properties to to explore around and camp on whenever i you're creative up to that point like were you a drawer
0: i mean was there any part of you that would go to art class and like excel or were you just like i the, like to me it's like when i pc people draw i'm like yeah i'm not creative i can't draw not realizing there's so many other outlets out there to be creative
2: no i don't think i was at all i mean maybe maybe there was creativity that i just hadn't found an outlet for but i i still to this day i can't sketch i can't draw i i can't paint um i hated art class because i just like I couldn't even do a stick figure. It was like, just <laughs> not my, not my, I don't know, wasn't for me. And and so I think that was really surprising when that started coming out, just being able to see things from a, a creative perspective, you know, rather than, you know, just like, yeah. you know, it's a yeah. d- different world. And so it, it's been, I think still to this day, I can often surprise myself just when I'll see something, something will catch my eye and it's almost like, why did that interest me? Why did I think of that angle? Or how did I know to expect the timing of a particular shot? So, I mean, it's still very much a journey, but because I didn't really have a creative outlet, my creative journey is not that old um, because I was 21 or 22 when I got that first camera. So it's really only half half my life that I've been practicing some type of of
1: creativity. Have you read Rick Rubin's book about the creative process? So it it really gets into that idea where creativity doesn't have to be art. It doesn't have to be drawing. It doesn't have to be it's like in your everyday life you find a way to be creative about something. And I think that in that it's like being out in the woods, your time is a caddy. There's a thing that you do in those things in, in everyday works where you are being creative in your own way, it just may not be so what a traditional person sees as air quote creativity. And I sure pa- parenting, I think is a huge one. Think of how many times you have to like be creative to keep your kids entertained. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, that's a totally yeah. different mind process. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah.
2: Yeah. You got to be really, really creative to do, to do that. Yeah. Um, I think I experienced quite a bit of trauma early on and it. I, I, I would say that helped and hurt my creativity. It hurt it because I, I kind of, I mean, I still, to this day, fight the constant, just like the survival mentality or the fight or flight mode. It doesn't take much at all to like trigger some of that old stuff. I've matured in a, a lot of ways to, to be able to handle it. But early on being in that constant state it helped me by teaching me to creatively survive in unsurvivable odds, mm-hmm. finding my way out of circumstances that there was no way out. Um, and so I, I think that really taught just how to use the creative process in your mind in any circumstance. And now that, yeah, that parlays into parenting and, and photography, owning a business, marriage, driving an RV across the country, which I know we'll get to that again at some point, but um a lot of those things I never thought I would even live long enough to see. And then I think, you know, look back on, on RV days, driving 15,000 miles, 17 States, you know, with two kids and a pregnant wife and a a little dog that took an awful lot of creativity and none of that involved a camera whatsoever. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting to, I I, got to read the book. I know somebody had Talk to me about that. But I love that mindset of, you know, when you look at it that way, every aspect of your life requires some level of, of creativity. It's not just being a creative. I think that pigeonholes Mm -hmm. some people and it, and it makes other people feel excluded. Like, well, I'm not a creative because I'm, I'm not a photographer. And I mean, I I even kind of fell into that mindset when I answered your, your question initially. Um, So it's, yeah, I, I think some, some kids, When they're young, you know, my daughter's 10, we realized a year ago she can sing. We didn't know she could because normally her singing was kind of a screeching sound. And then she really wanted to do voice lessons. And within a year, it's like, oh my gosh, now she's up on stage in front of 300 people doing monologues in a British accent. And, and, you know, so I think we surprise ourselves. And I often... I also think about this often, like how many, how many of us are wandering around in our daily lives, you know, either in a job or in school, never actually getting to a point of being creative, never unearthing a gift that we have just because we haven't been given the the opportunity or we haven't stepped out in, you know,
1: in, in a circumstance where we need to risk a lot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or I think
1: a lot of times school and certain jobs and things like that squash down so much that creativity. And so if you keep, if your mind gets pushed out of it a little bit and you're not expressing it in different ways, or like you said, trauma, childhood trauma can also make it where you think you have to grow up and move to a different level. You lose some of that play and some of that creativity that other people experience. And I think it's, Always trying to find that in some form is what pushes any form of artist, if you want to call it that, to another level. Sure.
0: I think fear and comfortability, too, right? Like, obviously, fear is the biggest thing that so many people use as a way to not try. Because, like Jeff, you said, if you never would have gotten that camera, or you would have gotten the camera, and been like, eh, cool. Thanks for the cool present. Like, I may use it every now and again. But getting over this fear of like well i don't know what i'm doing with it but i'll try like i wonder how many people would be unlocked if they just tried or stepped out of their bubble a bubble of comfortability to say like you know hey i work nine to five i'm exhausted at the end of the day i want to use my weekends for me well no if you maybe get out of your comfortability and get up early in the morning and go do whatever it may be paint you know photography draw whatever it is like you could unlock something that could be almost an escape from your your regular life
2: yeah yeah i think i mean you guys all can attest to how much risk it requires to do exceptional things you know taking on either a job or a shoot that you are not comfortable with <laughs> and maybe you maybe you blow it but maybe you excel in it and you know i I would say i I step out of my comfort zone every week because. Co- you know, confidence is a big, big part of it. You take a risk, you do something, and then can you do it with confidence or insecurity? And again, you know, with trauma and a lot of the life experience that I had early on, my my confidence, I would say, didn't even exist until. A handful of years ago and it really was because I just started telling myself I can do things I can do hard things um, I'm capable of learning new things if I want to go do that I can actually go do that I just have to work at it and take a risk and it was a huge risk going full-time in 2009 because we were wife and I were dating uh, we're about to get engaged and it was kind of like now or never I didn't really have any career at that point to fall back on i i was working at a state farm office which <laughs> felt like i was working inside a coffin no offense to insurance people i just i i just couldn't do it and and so i just had to take one small opportunity that was given me and i turned it into a, a 15 year career i don't i don't call it a career i call it a, a, a wild psychotic journey um but it, it's a career it required me to step out <laughs> yeah it's a career uh I I had to step out risk a lot uh to do a, a photo shoot and and then actually charged somebody for it which I didn't have the confidence to even give him a respectable number um but when he handed me the check at the end of the day I think it was 180 bucks I was like, I think I'm gonna do this full time. Like that was all it took. Probably not a wise business decision, uh, but I wasn't married yet. So it was like, it It really was, I knew it was now or never if if I wanted to do, if I want to do it. I didn't have any clients lined up. I I had no direction. I, I just had no idea what I was doing, but I but went
0: for it. Going for it. I mean, that's a sink or swim decision and that has confidence in itself. You know, whether at that point you, you were saying your confidence didn't come until a couple of years ago, but to have the comments to say, yeah, somebody paid me for what I did. All right, we're doing this full time. Like I know I can do this full time. Like that's the level of confidence that not a lot of people have, you know, period. And a lot of stuff also, when you talk about your confidence and I know that social media for the most part is a, people say it's a fairly toxic place. I, I think you can find the good things you can find the toxic part of it all. But do you think for yourself personally, that social media has played a role in your confidence because, I mean, if you go through your stuff, you know, and we're going to fluff you up the whole thing because you're incredible, but all you do is just put up incredible stuff. You're very open. Like I assume all the interactions you have online are all very positive things. Like, do you attribute any of that to this like
2: feeling of confidence? Before I was handed that check, I don't think I had any confidence. What I did have was a long series of at the time, what I would consider pretty big failures, especially in the career space. And it was like one big thing after another, after another, after another. And, and I was teetering on, is there anything that I'm going to do and not fail at? Or will I, you know, am I ever going to find something that I can do? And I think because I was risking it all and betting on myself at that point, failure was no longer a a possible outcome. But I had never succeeded really at anything well up to that point. I just had to make a decision. Moving forward, this is it. I'm not going to stop unless it's clear that I'm supposed to do something else. And I've actually tried multiple times over 15 years to get out of it because it's been a very, very hard journey. I'm not a business person. I've learned how to run a business kind of, but I was not a business person. I wasn't trained in any of that. Nobody ever said, if you're a photographer, it's 95% business, 5%, you have a camera in your hand. And, and I just, I didn't know that I wasn't prepared for that. So it's, it's been a challenge. I have literally tried to walk away and I couldn't, no other doors opened, kept me in it and I just kept going. And, uh, so I think that desire to not fail eventually turned into confidence and i would say social media has definitely played a pretty pretty big role probably more recent early on um you know it it was all facebook and i had my personal page and a facebook business page and all my eggs were in that basket and then they changed an algorithm overnight and i just like stopped getting exposure, stopped getting work. I was doing weddings pretty much full-time at that point. And I was like, okay, well, I need to figure something else out. And uh, so I kind of switched into more commercial work that was just word of mouth. But it wasn't really until I think Instagram paired with golf. Once I started shooting golf full-time, which was 2019, so 10 years into my career, I was like, it's only golf. From this point on, I had done a few golf shoots up to that point, but I think that narrowed in a community that I could belong to. A lot of people that I could relate to. We had a general interest in photography and golf. I never really cared for weddings. I mean, there were some <laughs> weddings I did that was that was fun, but out of 175 weddings, there was maybe 10 that I was like, yeah, this is cool, oh, but God. the other 165, I'm like,
1: I'm like, I can't, I just can't do this. Um, well, they can be more stressful than shooting anything else. Like I've only sure. done probably a dozen weddings back in the day, but it's like the pressure that comes from that can be just as much as any other shoot you've ever done in your life. Because those, yep. the, the brides and the mothers of the brides, all the people can be so on top of you to make sure you get it, that it, you yep. It really hones you in for when the time comes when you're doing other stuff to be on top of it and like ready to catch those moments. So, what was that first job that you did for $180? Uh,
2: it's in the morning. Is I think now I believe he's a syndicated radio host out of Dallas, but he was on the Wolf Country Station in Seattle at the time. I don't even know if there are still Wolf country stations but he was the number one radio dj in seattle at the time and a friend of mine was doing his website rebuild and asked if i could do some headshots so we went to gasworks park super cool very common place to do portraits i still have the photos i can't even look at them they're so bad and he thought that they were absolutely fantastic and and then he's like, "How much for these?" And I, you know, at that, I'm like, "I have no idea." Probably at the time, for that era, the photos were okay. I think I could have charged quite a bit more, but I just, I had no idea, so I just threw out a number. I think I said a hundred bucks, and he's like, "Nah, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you 180." And that was it. His manager loved him. I mean, this is how it works when you do take a risk and you do something crazy. Within a month, I was shooting the Kenny Chesney concert in the Seahawks stadium with near all access, not the experience to be doing that. I really, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know where I could go. I couldn't go. They were filming, I think an IMAX series and I I got in trouble so many times going places I wasn't supposed to go, which that's how you can get really good shots. But I don't advise doing it too often because you'll get kicked out. (laughs) Um, But it opened up a few doors that started giving me a little bit of that confidence of like, okay. I think I have the ability to do this. Well, I need to learn how to do it. Well, I think I'm capable of it, but also it's just a matter of meeting the right people. And, and I mean, it's still, still that to this day, it's getting to know the right people. I, I mean, I say this often, get to know the right people, be kind, work hard, do good work. Your, your work will work for you, but you need to work for yourself as well. And if you can do those things eventually people are going to trust you they bring you onto a job you do a good job they'll bring you back but they're also going to tell somebody else about you and that's that's just kind of how it snowballs there's a lot of people that think that it's a it happens overnight mm-hmm. i've been doing this 15 years and i still am wondering most of the time how i'm going to support my family and and where the, the next job is is going to come from obviously doing a bit more than i used to but it it takes time you can speed that process up the harder you work the better you get at your job but it's still just it takes time and i see so many young guys like hey i want to i want to shoot a, a tour event in t- two weeks how can i i'm like well you, you're not gonna <laughs> uh, it's just not gonna happen and and if you do You know you haven't taken any of the steps yet you can't jump from you know zero to in the pool and and think that it's it's going to work that way so yeah it's taken a lot of time to get to that point and a lot of times where i did think things were failures they ended up being a a blessing of pointing me into a different direction well that didn't work so i'm going to try this that didn't work i'm going to try this i used to think all of those were failures But if all of those would have been successes, I would have been a state patrolman. I would have been a firefighter. I probably would have worked in State Farm if one of the other things didn't work out. Those were all different paths that I was on. I can't ever imagine me being a state patrolman in Washington, especially in the last handful of years. Yeah. Wasn't for me, but I was devastated because I, you know, I needed a job. I was out of college. I'm going to go do that. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I stopped looking at things as failures, but as redirecting points to get to where I'm at now.
1: A good saying of try, fail, grow is what we used to go with at work where it's like, cool, try this thing that we we' let's try something new, see if it works, do it quick. Doesn't work. Great. It failed. Let's learn from it. Move on to the next thing. And yeah, I agree with you completely. Yep. There's so many things that we, any of us could have been doing in life. I was,
0: I was going to say that is a true example of all things happen for a reason, right? While at the time it looked like failures, like that thing was happening to get you to be a fireman, to get you to be Jake from state farm, to get you to be, you know, the photographer that you are. Like uh, all, (laughs) all those, all those happen for a specific reason. That's, that's the definition of it. I mean, yeah, it's like right there
2: in in that conversation. Yeah. It's, it's a, it took a long time to, to change the mindset to that point. And now, you know, now I, I wish I would have been able to do that early on, but uh, a lot of things I've just, I've had to learn the hard way. I didn't study photography growing up. I didn't study business. I was kind of on my own working full-time at a pretty young age, just trying to survive. So I, I definitely went the unorthodox route, but I think most people do. I mean, I've, I've met a lot of guys that went to film school that they've never had a job in the film industry so it's it's really just using i think more now than ever i'm thankful for all the weddings that i did because i learned to shoot in complete darkness i learned to shoot portraits at high noon in texas Mm -hmm. i learned to shoot details i learned to shoot architecture and portraits and then also the most important part in golf is the moments like in a wedding, you get one shot to get the the look on the groom's face at the first look or the kiss or or a really good laugh at the reception, learning to know when to expect things like that. Mm-hmm. I take all of those things now as kind of a, a toolkit, cliche, but like those are all different tools that I've added in. So now when I go shoot a golf tournament, I'm not just shooting it because I've only shot golf. I think that would for me, that would hinder me and my ability in a in a tremendous way. And I encourage every photographer I can, go shoot something else besides golf. A, you'll probably get burned out of it at some point. It's a little repetitive, especially tournament golf. So if you're not doing other things to like keep the fire lit in your creativity, at the end of the day, you know, I had a guy yesterday, I want to shoot like tour golf for the rest of my life. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's awesome. Like I love it. Nothing beats being inside the ropes on Sunday afternoon, but Thursday morning, you got four days to go and you need to be just as creative and just as ready Thursday morning as you do Sunday afternoon and not take a break off in those four days. And there's a lot of people that they can't do that. They can't sustain for that long.
1: But you obviously are a golfer, you caddied for a while. So, you know, the game and you know, the rhythm and I assume that helps as long as the wedding stuff is like anticipation, but you were around the game a lot. How long did you caddy for?
2: So the f- the very first time I carried a bag uh, was the 2003 U.S. Pub Links, which doesn't exist anymore now that they've gone to the U.S. for Uh It was in New Jersey uh, for Ryan Moore, who I'd grown up with. We were really good friends, played baseball together, and then he ended up quitting baseball to focus on golf. Um, and I was probably his closest friend through high school. I went to all of his state championships. I think I slept in a bathtub at one point at one of his state meets in the hotel, just so that I could be there to, to support him. And then for some reason he thought it might be a good idea to have me caddy for him at a, a USGA sanctioned event. And I didn't grow up playing golf. I think I'd maybe played like 45 holes before the age of 21. I just, I played baseball, football, never, never was interested in golf. I just supported him because he, he played golf. And I remember in a practice round, we walked up to the green, his ball was on the green and I just reached down and picked it up. (laughs) Didn't even know that you had to like mark the ball kind of embarrassing, especially (laughs) considering I was like 21 or 22. And it was like, at that moment oh i need to actually learn there's a lot of rules here that i'm i'm unaware of we made it to the round of 32 which wasn't bad considering i probably didn't even know the difference between a pitching wedge and an iron nine iron <laughs> we lost to it was very interesting <clears throat> we lost to brant snedeker who went on to win that tournament the guy that we were staying with he was very successful uh toll bridge builder up and down the eastern seaboard i don't think he was a member at pine valley but his friend was so when we walked off the course that night having gotten knocked out he said well consolation prize taking you guys to pine valley tomorrow <laughs> i had never heard of pine valley i didn't know anything about pine valley but based on ryan's reaction we were going somewhere kind of cool i didn't play i just Walked. I have no proof that I was there. Wasn't allowed to bring my disposable camera. Never went into a pro shop. Literally no proof. I think I remember two to three holes. Don't remember any golf that happened. I was like, oh, this is pretty. And then the next day, I think it was Garden City on Long Island, Mm -hmm. which I had never heard of, didn't know anything about. So that was kind of my jumping off point. I learned a little bit more about golf over the next few years. And then in 2006, I graduated college and I was mowing greens at his dad's course, the classic club uh, for eight bucks an hour, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And he called me one afternoon he said, hey, uh, my brother's going to school. He had turned pro, I think in 05. Brother's going to school and I need somebody to carry my bag this week. Can you come to Deutsche Bank at TPC Boston? So that was my first pro event that I was ever around very first day on the range. I look over and Tiger Woods is standing next to us. This is 06. So this is kind of peak tiger. At this point, I knew a little bit more about golf. I knew who tiger was. I was a fan, like just about everybody else still didn't necessarily know all the rules of golf, but I had brushed up on my caddy skills. I think his dad gave me like a one hour crash course on how to not screw up for the week. I was only supposed to be there for a week. We were in the second to the last group on Sunday. I think we went into went into Sunday tied for third or fourth. The group behind us was Tiger and VJ. Mm-hmm. VJ was up by seven. Tiger came back to win, and we were the group ahead the entire day. And it was just absolute chaos. We didn't play super great. I think we got sixth, ninth, ninth place. But he made a 30-something foot eagle on 18 in front of that entire crowd that was waiting for Tiger to come in and clinch like one of the greatest comebacks of our time. And then Ryan was like, okay, I think you did all right. You know, we'll have you come out next week until I get my replacement or whatever. And ended up, I think, out with him for seven months. So it wasn't real long, but it was a pretty epic experience. And to look back on that and to think I was inside the ropes, on Sundays in contention and some pretty memorable events. And now I'm inside the ropes at some pretty iconic moments in a completely different capacity. I never once thought at that point that I would eventually want to shoot golf was not a figment of my imagination.
0: That's crazy. And I imagined you were, ended up doing better than $8 an hour being a caddy.
2: I did. Yep. Um, <laughs> We kind of had a colorful run. We, I think it was not, we got a ninth, missed sixth, cut. 18th, cut. sixth, cut. We were in the final group on Sunday at the 84 Lumber, which is John Daly's tournament. doesn't exist anymore, but um, that was, that was pretty cool. That's the only time I've ever had a butler. I didn't know you could like actually have your own butler. If you stayed somewhere, Nemacolin Resort in Western Pennsylvania, um, We ended up losing to Ben Curtis back when he wore like NFL logos wherever the city he was in. So he had Steelers gear on. So that was the close I think the I mean the closest that we came to came to winning, which was pretty fascinating. I still have a digitized VHS tape. So I have some ESPN footage of of Ryan and I on that final Sunday round, which is just, yeah. To think I mean I, I look back at that version of myself I did not belong there like I was the the least qualified caddy in the top you know 50 in the field every week I just I really didn't belong but because I knew somebody we had been good friends he took a risk on me and you know he ended up having a pretty successful run even after I you know I left the bag and he went on to win five tournaments and I think he was one of the only guys that had not missed a FedEx cup up until two years ago because he got hurt. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting golf journey uh, to, to start out as a caddy. And because of that experience, when the USGA called me in 2020, this was really where my pro golf career turned because of COVID, they flipped around the schedule. So the USM was in front of the US Open, which was going to be at Wingfoot. USM was at Bandon, which I had happened to be there three times in 2020 for some other golf projects. So they said, hey, Bandon, we don't want to send any of our staff across the country, folks to get, you know, exposed or or sick or whatever before Wingfoot because we're going to have such a limited staff because of. New York guidelines. Do you know anyone? Well, this guy Jeff, he's come down here for a few, few you know shoots this year. He's six hours away. Give him a call. So the producer called me and he was like, oh, "I've seen you. You've done a little bit of golf work. I had only shot up to that point. Pro golf, the 2015 U.S. Open at Chambers, just the practice rounds, uh because I was on staff for a little while and." So I knew Greller, spice caddy. And, and he's like, yeah, I mean, I think you can do the job. And then I mentioned that I had caddied for him. And he's like, okay, job's yours. Because he just wanted to know that I wasn't going to make the USGA look like an idiot. Yeah. So for him to have somebody that knew how to operate inside the ropes at a professional level, that gave me a leg up to get that gig, which then went, you know, I went on to Wingfoot. And now this will be my uh, fifth season with the usga and a big reason is because 18 years ago i caddied for a high school buddy and we had a little bit of success
1: so i made it longer than a week it goes back to what you're talking about sorry to interrupt but it's like the same in photography and the same in this and it all it's it's knowing people and being a good person can go so much farther than sometimes the photos you learn as you go just like you mm-hmm. learned as a caddy as you go, you learn photography as you go. You you keep growing. But the important question is, did you ever go full Stevie and yell at any photographers when you were a caddy? Uh, n- no, I didn't yell at
2: any photographers, <laughs> but I definitely yelled at some fans. Uh, this this was, you know, with Peak Tiger and and right around, I think the first iPhone was... 2007 or maybe the beginning mm. of 08 so this was like flip phones blackberries nokia's mm. some of them actually did have a camera and you know it was like k-chick, k-chick, and and yeah. so there was a long period of time where tiger was so adamant that the tour didn't allow phones that you know eventually nobody had phones but this was still kind of on that shoulder season of that and so i mean it was non-stop um, especially that first the first week at deutsche bank because i mean that's the most people i'd at that point i'd ever seen in person because everyone was there to watch peak tiger come back and beat vj and there was i mean there was just there was no silence whatsoever that day he'd step up on the tee and you could hear you hear everything you know so i raised my voice a few times but i'm also not super confrontational so i I didn't go full, uh, full Stevie <laughs> on anybody. How how long after your caddying did you start doing True Links? Um. So yeah, my first, my first paid golf gig. Uh, Ryan and his brothers took over, uh, True Links, where which is a very successful company now, um, that was started by a couple guys I think in Dallas they took it over in Scottsdale in like 2011 or 2012 because I still had a relationship with them and I was starting to shoot stuff. They had me come out and shoot, uh, I think once in 2013, once in 2014. So that was my very first paid golf gig. So four years into being full-time and then they ended up kind of taking a pause, rebranding, moving to Tacoma in 2019 and then hired me on kind of part-time as their brand manager. Um, and that was really what started to catapult me into the, the golf creative space. Uh, I got laid off May or June of 2020. And instead of going back to some of the old clients that I had or trying to do weddings, I just, I exported my email list on my way out, sent one email off think there was maybe 45 names on on the email list and just said hey i'm going back to full-time freelance i just want to do golf here's some of the stuff that i had shot with true and and then the 2015 uh chambers open and that was enough to to lead to where i'm at now it's taken it's taken a while um but that was yeah so 2019 2020 was at you know i was at true and um again it's shooting golf shoes probably wasn't my best skill set but there was moments in there where i went to the 2020 players when the world shut down like on thursday they started the event or friday they started the first round and then everybody went home and that was it that was my first paid pro event that i shot um so yeah it's just a lot of tiny little points along the way that that have led to led to where i'm at and that's why i i don't call it a career i call it a wild psychotic um adventure and there's there's times every day where i i question every decision that i've made um but there's also times every single day where i'm like this is this is as good as it it gets i never you know traumatized abused young self would have never in a million years imagined even just having a conversation with guys like you talking about the cool stuff that I that I get to do
0: and have done yeah yeah I mean, and, and are to gonna do point.
2: yeah gonna do yeah this is actually this is the first year in my in my career that I have a pretty good outlook on the whole year for the most part as far as tournaments usually it's like I know I have a tournament next month or a championship next month, but after that, I don't know. This is the first year where I've seen the calendar really start to fill out. Still, still quite a few gaps in there that I'll fill as time goes on, but, uh, that I've worked really hard to get to that point because without having an outlook like that, I mean, it's been, you you guys have followed me long enough to know it's, it's been challenging. It's a lot of hand hand to mouth invoices that haven't been paid or or checks coming late and you know we're eating rice and i'm asking friends to to help us out you know until we we get to the next one so it's i i I stress to everyone that i talk to that i get to do some cool stuff but it doesn't come with without some incredible sacrifice and hardship and And I have to make the choice every single day. Again, when I have those regrets, nope, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to, if I have to embarrass the heck out of myself to survive another day, then I'll do, my wife doesn't like that I do that sometimes. (laughs) But if it gets me to the next day, I know that it's just a matter of time before the next break happens and the next, you know, big thing happens. Some of which I, you know, I don't, Even know that it's around the corner and I'll never see it if I if I throw in a towel well let's give a big
1: shout out to wives of traveling photographers because I mean I had my job when my wife and I met and I've spent the last 14 years of my life traveling like crazy now it's down a little bit but your wife all the kids at home my wife It is, like you said, it seems glamorous when you see the photos online, but they're doing the hard work at home. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: I think the one thing, Jeff, that and I kind of alluded to at the start of it, but the one thing that I appreciate so much with you is your openness to say, hey, the photos are awesome. The places I get to see and the people I get to meet are absolutely incredible. But there's this side to the business that not a lot of people are highlighting and you're very open to say like, you know, hey, there is a grind. There is, you know, outside of the financial unsustainability or, or not knowing, like you're away from the family a lot. I mean, you got three kids, you got a dog, which as a doodle dad, you know, they're just as much of a kid as as they are. Today's your and, birthday,
2: by the way. Uh, oh, shut up. Yeah. Shut up, um, sneezing.
0: But like, yeah, you're you're away from the family. You're always grinding. Even when you're home, I'm sure you're going through 30,000 photos to find a hundred that are what you want to post and you sit behind and editing. And yeah, it's, you know, when people post stories on social and there's a paragraph, I'm normally like, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. But when you do it, I stop and read it because it's so genuine. You take in the time and it gives insight into what it's, you know, what it's really like to do, what I feel like all of us who are listening or follow you on social, like kind of dream to say like, God, that would be absolutely incredible to have that experience and do something like that. And, you know, you shine light onto, damn, it's way harder than, you know, a post makes it look to be.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, life's hard. We, we face a lot of, we all do. We all face hard stuff. And when I have a bad day, I'm, I just, it doesn't take me long to, to scroll through and see somebody else having a much worse day or ha- have much worse circumstances. And, uh, and going back to the creativity thing, I was actually talking to my daughter about it on Valentine's. She's like, dad, wh- what's the origination of, of Valentine's? I was like, well, let me tell you, because when I was in high school, I was in journalism class cause I had to take an elective and I didn't like language arts, but somehow I ended up in a writing class. And I actually wrote a pretty dang good Valentine's day, article for the school paper and and at that point i was like well i actually kind of liked doing that but i never after that point really pursued any writing until 2016 i just kind of took to instagram to start writing about fatherhood and life and just everything in between so i started an account called secret life of dad uh, because I think every dad does have a, a secret life not necessarily trying to keep things a secret but we all have stuff inside us that nobody sees nobody hears even even those closest to us and I just kind of started this practice of of writing in real time life not knowing that starting in 2017 really for the for the following 4 years I would literally go down to the gates of hell through some really, really hard things. And because I had started practicing either journaling or just every once in a while, I'd throw a post up. It was very cathartic. It gave me an outlet. But what I didn't expect was how much it would resonate with other people. And that's when, you know, you realize like, you're not the only one going through something. We've, you know, we've all heard that we've all said that, but when you really share something vulnerable about what you're going through, there's somebody else that is also going through that. And so in a way I was helping myself by being vulnerable, sharing about hard stuff, but I was also encouraging somebody else to find somebody that they could talk to about it. And I still say this today, like some of the stuff that I write, like my hands are almost trembling because I have so much anxiety and nerves about sharing some of the stuff that I do, but I never regret it because even if it's just one DM that I get from somebody that's like, dude, i I'm going through the same thing. Or, I mean, I've had some pretty heavy messages come through over the years. Um, you know, people, people really on the fence of wanted to take their own life and substance abuse and, you know, real-time guys going through divorce, guys have lost kids. And I just take comfort in the fact that if I can continue to be vulnerable on the really hard stuff, not encouraging people to do the same online, but if they can do that with somebody else, find some help, find some support. I mean, we're guys, we're prideful. We put up walls, we flex our muscles. We wanna hit the long ball, you know, but that's that's not reality. Reality is, is the messy stuff the the in between, you know, when you have little kids like the stitches this morning. And I mean, this, this is our bedroom nursery office, there's diapers and you know, um, it's the in between stuff that people don't share or really talk about, you know, when we're on the golf course, we're not going to talk about diapers and we're not going to talk about, I don't know, taxes. It's like, if you jump into a group that you don't know anybody, it's what do you do for a living? How's the weather? Well, I shot a, I shot a 78 yesterday from the blue. You know, it's like, that's yeah. it. It's the same. And I tried doing the same for years and years and years and just could never get out of a pattern of of um, brokenness until I started attacking the status quo of what people think real life is and, and really exposing that. Real life. And so I've parlayed that into the golf space. And while I took down one slide the other day for the first time in years, sometimes I get real aggressive on on the vulnerability and and not everybody really agrees. It was a rough day, but it for the most part is worth it because of the conversations that happen mm. on the back end. And if that's why I'm in golf, if that's why I have the platform that I have now, if that's why I went through all the garbage that I've been through then it's worth it because I'm not just taking golf photos I'm helping people find healing and hope through a lot of the really
1: mm-hmm. nasty stuff that we all face. Yep. And, Everybody's and I, thinking
0: about it, barely anybody talks about it.
1: Yeah, and I think that we should try to make the golf course a place to talk about that. I've written something about this that I haven't even really shared with many people. Um the group golf therapy guys are friends of mine and I think what they're doing it's like we're out on the golf course for hours together. Normally with some of your closest friends, if you're going through some shit, that should be a time that you could talk about it and not just focus on, Oh, let's hit this ball. Let's take this photo, which we all fall into. Yeah. I think it's a good opportunity that we should all strive towards.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you get four hours uninterrupted with your kids or your spouse, you know, if you're getting it with a buddy, like that, that has to be the time where it's like, maybe don't have to get as vulnerable as maybe I've gotten before. But if you're not going to do it there, share that stuff with your buddies. Like, wh- when are you? You're, you're not going to. You're just going to do what we all do and stuff it down. And then it's going to boil over in some really ugly, ugly ways. And through all this, it, it inspired me with a, a couple other buddies to start Restoration Club, which mm-hmm. really is just a group with that purpose of being meaningful in our golf experiences, not just showing up to talk about the weather, but to talk about life. And, you know, we don't do any There's no singing songs or, or anything weird. It's just, we'll start out with a quick conversation or, or share, you know, a quick thought or a question to, to ponder just on your own as you are walking through a bunker or trying to find your wayward shot. You know, here's some things to think about. Let's have a, a little bit more of a purposeful, meaningful time where we're leaving an event fulfilled in that way, not just like with more FOMO of, well, now I want to go to the next, you know, yeah, you know, big golf bender or whatever. And, and I, I think we're all searching for that meaning, that purpose, that community. And, you know, so we've just tried to be as intentional as we can without making things awkward or weird, trying to create a space where guys can be like, yeah, this might be a community. Maybe not today that I would share something like that, but maybe the next time we get together, you know, I can share something that I'm going through. And we just did one at Citrus Farms in Florida, which is fantastic, by the way. And so we had 16 guys from all over the South. I think four states played 11 hours without sitting down, did not sit down once. And then we went to dinner after, and then one guy, I could tell he was having a day after playing 11 hours at Cabot. Like, I played with him. I know that he didn't play that bad. So I was like, hey, everything good? And he goes, no, two days ago, one of my best friends took his life. He has four young kids. I have no idea how to even begin to process. I don't know what to do. Like, where do I go from here? You know, I got to start planning his, his funeral. So to create an opportunity, and we're in a sports bar, it's not like we... We went into a therapy session. I'm not even qualified for that. I just wanted to create an opportunity for guys like him to be able to open up about something like that because you're generally not going to do that with with a group of guys on a a golf course, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad he didn't on the golf course. I'm glad he was able to just play golf, have fun. Then we got together later, and he knew like, okay, this is a space where I can talk to guys that really I have not lived life with, I'm not close to. But I could still share something like that, and you know, now we have kind of a group thread that we communicate on and start building relationships that way. So next time we're all together, it's again, it's not you know, how's your golf game? It's how's family? How are you doing? How you how's recovery? How's how's the four kids doing? What can we do to support them? And it's been yeah, it's been a really cool journey to, again, go from where I was, to now starting to see all of that find meaning and purpose in being able to help and support and guys it, like you and I.
0: As I've gotten older, I and my girlfriend, and I talk about this often more this year than ever, you know, everybody has their lifelong friends that you talk to that you hang out with that they've been buddies for a very long time. And I find as you get older, sometimes it's difficult to make new friends. But it at some point you get to a spot where you evaluate the people that you're surrounding yourself with. And if the people you're surrounding yourself with are just kind of like surface level, you know, what all the questions that we just went over, how's the weather, how's this or that then, but is it worth spending as much time with them as you did in the past? Or, Or do you start finding people where you can have, you know, either a deep conversation, a meaningful conversation, or, like a business conversation, right? It doesn't have to be like a super deep conversation. But having that person that you can talk about finances with without knowing they're not going to get jealous or helping you grow as a person in whatever field that you're in, like, at the end of the day, those are the people that you want to keep close, keep your friends at the surface level that you know, it's just fun to hang out with and have beers and do whatever. But getting those people that can help you accelerate as an individual, no matter what the instance may be, those are the ones that are going to help you grow. And being yourself to realize that you need those people around you. I mean, that's sometimes a tough thing to do as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's to be, to be vulnerable with anybody, It, it it's it takes a risk. I mean, it, sure. it really does. And that that's yeah. the, the risk that I've taken over and over again when I do share stuff, whether it's online or with, with a friend, but it's been very fruitful, very rewarding to take those risks where I, I think, you know, it's a difference between being somebody that people want to be versus being somebody that people want to spend time with Mm -hmm. you know you you think of like uh you know my my daughter says i I want to grow up and be you know famous like carrie underwood and it's like okay well this is all that comes along with being carrie underwood you know versus her closest friend that she just wants to spend time with she doesn't want to be her friend she just wants to be around her friend and i try to be that i want to be somebody that people want to be around because we can have real authentic conversations and also have a heck of a lot of fun too and play golf you know it's not all serious with me i'm pretty laid back easy going i think as you guys know um Mm -hmm. but if somebody yeah if somebody wants to go there then i'm all in and that's what i encourage people to do is don't don't try and be me don't try and do my job be you because no one's more qualified to be you than you sure you can try and do some of the things that i've done which is great but don't try to be somebody else just be around people that you want to be like that you want to learn from that you want to you want to grow from they're going to make you a better person you're going to make them a better person and that makes all the difference in in this golf community and you know we're starting to see a lot of really good people like that enter this space
1: all right guys we're gonna stop right there we went on for two and a half hours i think on this total conversation we don't want to try to put it all at one time so we're going to come back in a few days let you guys hear the rest of it you don't want to miss this we have so much more to talk about with jeff so that's going to hear the rest of
0: it on episode two Uh, and keep snapping (laughs)